Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Beguiled, directed by Sofia Coppola and released in 2017. The plot of The Beguiled goes something like this. During the Civil War in Virginia, the pupils and teachers of a girls' school take in an injured Union soldier. Sorry, I just read my notes and it says tucking natural lighting. And I'm like, it never means tucking. I never want to say tucking or ducking, man. <laughs> um, yes. So, so briefly, spoiler free, should people watch The Beguiled? Yeah, definitely. God, this was great. Mm. Um, like, really good. It is so, like, probably Sofia Coppola's best movie that I've seen. Yeah. Um, I watched, we watched three movies this weekend and this was the one I was least looking forward to. And I think it was my favorite. Of the um, three, it's really good. Um, the atmosphere is incredibly tense. The actors all do a really good job. Oh yeah, and um, such a cast on this movie, yeah. man. And I don't want to get too spoilery, but it has some really interesting things to say about abuse and domestic violence. Not just abuse and domestic violence. I think just going broader, like um, you know men and women and different kinds of violence and different mm. kinds of social interactions and things. I, I think it's really interesting on a socio-political cultural level and it's really fun and it's really beautiful. So, yeah. like, absolutely go see The Beguiled. Just yes. Terrific. Yes, definitely. Okay, so um, if you haven't seen The Beguiled and you want to, stop the podcast now and we're going to move on with spoilery bits. Yeah, I, I was really blown away by this. I did not expect – I didn't really expect anything. I know it won the best director at Cannes, but I just, you know, well, cause you know, it I wins at Cannes, pretentious yeah. things, and and it does borderline. It does go borderline pretentious, but I think it pulls it back just with how much like humor and um and there's something. There's Sophia Coppola is not always no, but there's there's also a traditional storytelling vein through it. Yes, that Sophia yes. Coppola doesn't always do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think she. She employs it in this one and it pays off for her. Yeah. This because is, I mean, it's to. not original. It's a remake of a, an yes. old movie. But from what I can tell, it's quite different. Yeah. But the thing is you have to set up these characters well to make the plot twist work. Yeah. And it's very plot driven, this movie, more so than a lot of her other work. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, the, te the way the tension builds is really well done it's so well done but also it's so cheeky and fun and clever mm -hmm. and that's what really sells it because a lot mm. of the stuff that doesn't work for me about Sofia Coppola's movies I did nearly fall asleep in this movie and it's during that extended like lusting over him when he's gardening sequence yep. that feels much too long to me yeah um oh the other God. stuff is like tension building yeah. but that stuff's not really tension building yeah. or relationship building it's just building on stuff that we already knew. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a bit too much for me and I nearly fell asleep. But then it got me back once the plot came back in. Right. Um, and that's the stuff that Sofia Coppola does a lot of. Like mm. these shots are still long, don't get me wrong, but a lot of the time it's actually building tension, mm -hmm. whereas that didn't yeah. really work And me. she also did this thing where of repeated shots, yeah. but instead of sort of being boring, it was about – building the idea of the routines and the rhythms of the place and the way that the rhythms of the place are being disturbed by the presence yeah. of Colin Farrell. Yeah, and, and like, uh, it's so... Who is used to really good effect, I think, here. Yes. This is he good casting and good use of Colin Farrell. No, this is good casting across the oh, board. Oh, yeah, I mean, the other actors Every too. actor is, like, that. she took Nicole Kidman and put her in a Nicole Kidman role yep. to good effect. She took 
Kirsten Dunst and put her in a Kirsten Dunst role to good effect. And, and um, Dakota Fanning. L Fanning. <laughs> far out, man. L Fanning and um, Una Lawrence. Yep. And um, who's and Gary, Gary Rice. Rice, who's in everything. But all of them, just such good casting. And the yep. two other kids whose names I don't remember, yep. one of them is not, is barely in it, but the other one, um, the, the little, little girl who ends one. up, yeah, who ends up, um, actually suggesting the murder the at the end yeah. is so good. And it just all plays off really well. Everybody just works together nicely. This is clearly a cast of very talented people. And that is, it works so well for this movie. They are, they're all really, really good. The actress we're t- talking about is Alison Riker. Alison R- Riker. Oh, I think Riker. Rika, maybe R I E C K E. Alison Rika. Okay. Addison, sorry. Addison. And her, she plays a character called Marie. She's really good. But Angari Rice and Una Lawrence are both child actresses who we've talked about on this podcast mm, recently. Recently, like in recent, they've done quite a few things. Um, Angari Rice has been in everything, but we first saw her in the, that terrible, nice guys. yep, that terrible movie. And, and then Una recently Lawrence, in Spider Man. And, yeah, and recently in Spider Man. And Una Lawrence was in Bad Mums, but we saw her in something else before that as well. But Jake Gyllenhaal. Boxing Southpaw. movie, Southpaw. They were both kids that we picked up in those movies and went, oh, these kids are going somewhere. And in I this actually movie, saw really Una do. Lawrence before I saw Southpaw because um, she played mm. Matilda on Broadway. Oh, right. Um, so she was in the Tony's opening that Neil Patrick Harris did, the bigger one, mm. um, and I've seen her in a few clips from Matilda. Mm. I don't think I put it together quite as early, but, yeah, she's um, she's also a Broadway kid. Yeah, So yeah. she's very experienced and very terrific. Mm. Like she just – Every scene that she has with Colin Farrell in this movie is so affecting mm. um, because she's so innocent and it starts out as such a sweet relationship yeah, that goes sour. Yeah, and she's the one who finds him. Like, he's injured in the woods. Yeah, you know? and this has a cast of 12 people and a couple yeah. of those people barely have lines. Yeah. So everybody who's really in it has to, like... The main cast is really six people. Yeah, and just their interactions. Every interaction is unique. Yeah. Um, and part of that is... Colin Farrell in this movie is a con man. Uh. He is absolutely a con man and he is conning everybody and he cons the audience mm. into mm-hmm. being charmed by yeah, him. Well, that this is why it's so great though because it is a really good depiction of how a smart how smart women can get sucked into an abusive relationship, right? Because he comes in and he, you know, he's this alleged war hero and he's so charming and he's just like he, he – Puts on the full charm offensive. Well, he and never, he, he never is a war hero, especially no. not to these women. No, and they I think don't think that's of him a hero, important. but he's, he does, they do think he's a soldier. We don't ever find out whether he really was a soldier. Well, he, he was. He was in soldier gear when they found him and he that's was. all we sh- know. Shot. That is all we know. But he, he, well, he conned, he, he admits that he conned his way into being into a being, soldier. Yeah. But he still, he was definitely fighting well, in that battle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I could, because by the end of it, you doubt everything he's ever told you. Well, at least I do. Like, it, I would not put it past him to have gotten injured, found a uniform on it, offered to take a uniform off a dead soldier. I think that's too. I don't think that he's supposed to not be. A, he was. He was. A, yeah. He conned his way into being a soldier. Yeah, right. And and it's also and that's very clear. So I don't think it, that and it becomes quite clear early on that he has nowhere to go if he's not here. Yeah, and he's not like a good soldier. He no, he's definitely terrible. like abandons everybody and yeah, goes he doesn't off want to go back tries to, to survive it. rather yeah. than and that's what he is he's a survivalist he's yeah. not a um but the but the way that he comes into the house with the full on charm offensive and you only sort of start to get clues 
even as the audience, because he's just such a little cheeky bugger, um, you only really start to get clues about who he is. Um, it is, in fact, in a gardening scene because there's a bit where he says to and uh, to Una Lawrence's character, "Don't tell any of the others, but you're my favorite." And "Don't tell any of the others" is a classic like red flag. No, he starts phrase. way before that. Though. Well, now, hang on, I got to look back over my lines because there are bits like there's all these little bits of um, dropped in foreshadowing. Like she asks the um, southern soldiers for some cartridges for her rifle and then there's someone talks about the mu- oh, I'll go through those mushrooms later to make sure none of the poisonous ones are in there <laughs> all these things oh, yeah. that kind of Chekhov's mushrooms Chekhov's gun yeah. straight up Chekhov's gun is in this movie yeah yeah but the way and that's what I'm talking about with the traditional storytelling that yeah. Sofia Coppola doesn't normally employ yeah it all it all kind of like the hints are there and it pays off yeah. later um but he he comes in and like He's got he's got her line. I'm grateful to be your prisoner. Yes. Even like I wrote that down too. I did too. Yeah. And, and then there's obviously the world's most awkward sponge bath. No, see, I didn't think that was the world's most awkward sponge bath. I was like, oh, I wrote it. I was like, is this the female gaze? Yeah. Like I thought that was supposed to be like I didn't find it awkward though. Because partly because he's passed out. So there's not awkwardness to be had because it's not between them. Mm. It's just Nicole Kidman kind of lusting over this guy and it's Colin Farrell. He's good looking, especially before he shaves off the beard. Mm. And he's like, he can't be threatening in that moment. And it's no. interesting that the threat, it's just something that I've talked about, I think, with teenagers before and teenage girls and, and who they tend to be interested in and, mm. and that threat level. And it's part of this movie as well because there are so many young girls in this movie. Mm. And it's that threat. He's not a threat when he's an invalid. Mm. Um, he's not a threat when he's passed out. And so the lust can be this, like, something that they can indulge in yeah, without, without having it. to worry. But then it does come back to bite them. Because it's telling yeah. you that men are always can't a threat. Be trusted. They, they cannot be trusted. Threat. Yeah. And it's interesting. And it's like, it's. Yeah. And it's interesting because they've, they're basically cut off from the world. Yeah. They're in the middle of a war and, um, the sound editor and mixer has done this really clever thing where you can hear the shrapnel and the bombs going off in the yep. background underneath, but it's not right in the house. So you hear that, but they've got this little world. They're sitting there, they're learning French, they're, you know, gardening and washing and, oh yeah, and in French class, and they're learning the verb to be, and they say, nous sommes les filles. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, Chekhov's French. <laughs> yeah, che- yeah, Chekhov's foreshadowing French. And, and He's a real threat to this world and it, it and it shows almost in the same way of, of like, you know, men landing on Themyscira mm. of these when you – or women, you can have this nice safe little world but then this man com- walks in and everything kind of – well, yeah. it doesn't happen on Themyscira because Steve Trevor's a good man yeah. and he's got integrity and he's not a con man. I love Chris Pine so um, much. Yeah, and, and it, it goes very differently there because yeah. he the man that walks in is a good man but it's so easy – for the man that walks in to be a con man. Yeah. And in this case it is. And it's because he's a con man, because he knows what he's doing, he's incredibly charming. Yeah, but it's also really interesting. When we saw um, – what was it we saw? Get Out. We were talking about I was going to compare this to Get Out in a minute too. Yes. we were t- we, We've done this with the last couple of movies as well, but we were talking about audience involvement. This middle-aged, like, or, or older – audience that we saw this movie with was so engaged with this yeah. movie. They were so in it, man. They were gasping at the gore and they were laughing at the girls. And the yeah. uh, and, and it this, was older women too. Most of the audience was older women that yeah. we were with. But there were men as well who yeah. were really – and there was a point to – The old fellow who was explaining the plot to his companion. <laughs> yes. I, that's what I was going to say because everybody in the movie got it, right? 
everybody what was it except for this one old fella i I wrote it down because it was so funny to me yeah because Um, but that's the thing all these women instinctively Every woman who watches this understands what's going on here. And this movie, to me, the reason I want to compare it oh, to I Get Out found it. is because the reason Get Out is so good is because as a, as a white person in the audience, you are taken into this story, you see it from the black point of view, and mm. you see how what you've done wrong. But it's using and the thing that they both do really cleverly mm. is use tropes and filmmaking techniques to tell us these things. Yeah, to really – From our point of view. Really – creates an, a level of empathy with what this feels like. You really feel what this feels like. You what feel the atmosphere in this house. You feel the frisson of excitement but also a bit of terror when he first arrives. And you feel the um, where, where the, through the invalid phase, you feel this sort of, oh, isn't he sweet? He's relatively harmless. And you feel the mood start to shift when he starts to get better and he starts to push boundaries and mm-hmm. he starts to – and you can see that he's got three different flirtations with all of the women who are over 18 it's going actually, on. He's got different relationships going on with the children because yeah. he's getting them on his side. And I think it's really important. And it's really well done. I don't know if Elle Fanning is playing over 18 in this movie. Yeah. It feels She's like clearly she might not older be. than the other girls. Yes. Though. But I think she might be under 18 and right. I think that she might was about, be – She was about 18 when this was shot. She's, I looked her up. She's 19 now. Yes. So I think she might be meant to be underage. Right. But I think it's really interesting and important to note that he doesn't hit on the younger ones. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, he, That's very different. That's a, But he is trying to get them on his side. He is, yes. But it, it is I – I think it could have – it's such a careful tightrope that, that Sofia Coppola is walking here. Yeah. Because it could have gone into a place where he's too flirtatious with the younger ones mm-hmm. and you don't trust him or he's too flirtatious with the younger ones and it comes across that he's a pedophile or something yeah. like that. And, and the, with Elle Fanning particularly, that's a line because Colin Farrell was, what, in his 40s? Yes. I would say. And um, he, they, don't, they don't try and, like, play him off no, as no. being a lot well, no, younger because he, he is with – like Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst as well as. Yeah. And well, the thing is everyone's playing their actual age. Yeah. He's meant to be in his 40s. Nicole Kidman's meant to be around 50. Kirsten Dunst is meant to be around 35. Um, is that how old she is? She's born like the same month as me. That's right. We talked about this last time yeah. that I saw her in something and I was like, I thought yeah, no, she was Kirsten older. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst is like either two weeks younger or two weeks older than me. So she's she 35. She just seems older to me. Well, that's because of the way movie careers go. She was – firstly, she was a child actor mm. and then – but also – the way women women's acting careers go, they're playing like they they get to about twenty eight, they stop getting parts, and by the time they're thirty five, they're people's mums again. And yeah. so now she's like in matronly type roles. I don't think it's just that though. I think her voice has changed quite a bit, and yeah. like she looks different too. She like looks, she's put on weight yeah. and stuff, and she looks she looks like a, a grown up woman, or she's had her boobs done. I don't know, one or the other. I think it was more just that her face kind of it's not like a I don't know her her cheeks look kind of. But she was so baby faced as well. Yeah. When she was younger, she had that this real is a, this is round a problem face with, younger with dimples child and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah, so, which made her a really great child actor. But it, as she ages, it looks kind of strange because um, that that childishness is no it longer doesn't. There. Yeah, and it's it interesting as well because there's a line where Colin Farrell refers to her delicate beauty. Yeah, and people just know that's not. True. No, they know that that that's clearly a line, right? Yeah, and it's really because like, you can see, and not just from, not just like, not that she's bad looking or anything. No, she's obviously a gorgeous woman, but 
you can see she's playing 35, but also the way she dresses and the way she is around the girls, the bitterness that comes through in her character. And that's, that's what I think it is like. All of the characters she's playing now tend to be bitter. Mm. It's melancholia, which I don't think you saw. No. Thankfully, it was awful. I, I know people love it and it's so snobby. <laughs> melancholia and um, what we saw. Oh, uh, Hidden Figures mm. and this. She's like a bitter kind of thing that that's what apparently she looks like now and that's what makes me think she's older than 35 because yeah. it's such an old bitter role that she's playing now. You yeah, know? but then again, in 1864, when this is set, being 35 old, yeah. and single and teaching at a school and in the middle of bloody nowhere, mm. and and it seems like from the what you and hear, it seems like she's come from you know Richmond, a bigger city, and she's stuck out in this um out in this place, which by the way appears to be a plantation. Mm. Um, at the very start, there's this reference to like all the, slaves the slaves leaving, but this is something we should talk about yeah. because there were slaves in the original yeah, Beguiled and movie, and they got cut out of and this they one. got cut out because Sophia Coppola was like, "Oh, it's too complicated." She didn't want to deal with it. It seems like yeah, yeah. because I'm watching this movie and I'm like, "Oh, you could easily include slaves in this movie." It's not like it's mm. even like even the women and the the girls that we do see are complex anyway. Well, we give us another layer as well to what's going on because you'd see the slave perspective. Yeah. And it would it would also add another layer of how we view particularly Nicole Kidman who would be their owner. Mm. Um but it would add another layer of how we view the girls in the house versus how we view the slaves who are there. And you could do it really well with Una Lawrence treating mm. them one way whereas yeah. spoiled little El Fanning and Jane and Gary Rice would treat them mm, another way mm. and then you could really yep. kind of play with those interactions and stuff. But these aren't kids that they, – they, I. one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie that movies never get right or very rarely get right is the kids are age-appropriate acting like children. Mm. So Una Lawrence is sweet and naive and gullible but when she's pushed – can behave a certain way, yeah. but she's still innocent in and a way that her age, mm. it plays into it. She's just starting to get into that kind of men are attractive idea mm. without it being overwhelming to her. Yeah. It's really cleverly done. Was, um, and it's the same with the other two littler girls. Yeah. Well, I also like Dan Gowrie Rice as well because she has – I was going to go up. <laughs> oh, sorry. Because she's heard the political opinions of her parents and yep. everyone around her. She's and the Ron Weasley. Yeah. All <laughs> she's – yeah, she's just spouting, you know, what she's heard from yeah. other people and she hasn't been through that awareness. She doesn't have the life experience to know what she's saying really. Yeah, and it's, it's this del- – it's a hard – kind of thing to do and she is just a bit jealous of the others yeah. you know but not to the extent that Elle Fanning is jealous yeah. of Una Lawrence but Elle Fanning is old enough to really have blossomed into her sexuality and be quite sexual but also she's the most kind of teenagey spoiled brat yeah. of the and group. she's also at an age like say she's playing 17 or something yeah um it was 16 or 17 right mm. so that's probably where they're aiming her at she's at an age where being stuck in this place is really push, is is really grating on her because she's not able to go out and meet boys in the usual way. And this is why so I that's think she's particularly to be- um uh what's the word combustible in this situation. Yes. And this is why I think she's supposed to be 16 or 17 because she wants to be older. Yeah. And she's expressing that, right? She wants to be out of here. She doesn't want to be doing the same thing that yep. the little kids are doing. This war but keeps going on and she's stuck there. And she's not quite old enough to be there yet. Yep. She's not quite developed enough to be thinking that way yet. Not developed 
um, physically, I'm thinking developmentally. Like yeah, yeah, her, yeah. She's not at that mature stage. enough. She's not mature enough. So it's really interesting. Like they, it's so well structured for each of those. And, and there's also something about Elle Fanning's character being almost exactly half the age of Kirsten Dunst's character. Yeah. And then, you know, the way that, that Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst kind of pick on each other a little bit, mm. but it's all under um, – what's under something? Anyway, in the subtext. It's all in the subtext. It's all, like, implied yeah, without it being overt, but it's always there and you can feel it. And the audience could all feel it. They giggled at these lines and they knew what was happening. And, yeah. and the, the women are kind of slightly – pushing each other yeah. and bitching at each other and, and around well, each other's backs. But when push comes to shove, they all come together. They do. And it's so good to see that because at first I was like, you know, you, you kind of think, oh, it's this negative portrayal of women, but then it, it's not. No. And then that's – well, because that's it. Because at first you're sort of like – it goes like the Hunger Games. I actually wrote down the Thirst Games um, <laughs> because everyone <laughs> – that's great. I love it. Yeah, I know. That's why I wrote it down. I thought it was a great line and I was saving it for this. Um, so I. That's brilliant. So they were all trying to, all oh, trying Jennifer to win. Sort of been great in this movie. Sorry. Oh yeah. Um, they're all trying to win his favor, right? And they're and it's, it is. It's like the Hunger Games. They're all like, they they will push each other out of the way or do whatever they have to to get into him, but. But not what whatever happens, they have to. No, not whatever they have to. Well, that's but what I mean. What happens that's why is it's so good. Th- but then the turnaround comes though because it actually shows the effect of d- abuse and domestic violence on a family as well because it shows the effect on the women, the adult women who are the primary victims or the primary um, people who are under attack. But it also shows what it does to children and to a family or to a, a you know a family structure. And then they they do come together. They do realize that they are a family, and it comes together in like. This horrible way, like Kirsten Dunst basically does what a lot of adult women do and put themselves, put herself in harm's way to protect the children. She allows him to rape her. No, by putting the children. We've read that really differently. By putting herself in front of you know it, it, there, and then while that, that's happening, that, really that gives the that gives the rest of them time to figure out what to do. Yeah, no, I don't think that's what happened at all, at all. Okay. I think she would one hundred percent wanted to run off with him. She wanted him to take her with him and she was willing to throw everybody else under the bus to do it. Okay. And that's where that was going. And she thinks she's won. She comes down to dinner in that dress for that final dinner and she thinks she's won. She thinks she's won the first games. Like she thinks she's she's landed him. She thinks she's got the like hero of this movie. Um, and she goes down. She doesn't know that they're planning to kill him. She never thought that they would. She's shocked when they do, she is, and then no, she's and that, forced that back true. into their into the fold, even though she was because that's her journey. She that is wanted true. to get away. I, so yeah. I think I read that totally. Yeah. Oh, I, to you. I just think, yeah. At that point, she was scared too, and she knew what would happen if she went there. And I don't think. I think she wanted him. She wanted to have sex with him. Right. She wanted to go off with him. She was still into him. Right. Yeah, and she was still willing to do it, even though she knew what she'd seen. Like, yeah, but I don't think she thought of that as – I don't think that was rape. I think she was okay. fully consenting to that. I don't think that that's at all – like she was – I mean, she was scared, but I think in that kind of like uh, – I, I don't the think other she thing ever I thought, they would, thought she would, he was, would really hurt her. Yeah, and this is the other thing that I thought at that and point And I think she was, thought he really loved her too. Yeah, and this is the other thing. And this is the other part of the domestic violence stuff is that really underneath it all, he loves me and I love him. Yes. And it's worth that, you know, it, it's um, if I just have sex with him, that'll improve his temper. He'll feel better. 
Yeah, that but I also thing. think she wanted I to think get there were one. A few things going on there. I, I think she wanted to get one up on everybody else, and I think she came down thinking she'd won. Mm. She, I think she came down there going, "I've won this game. We're going to go off together. You guys are all going to suffer here." I don't think she ever saw it the way that everybody else was seeing it, and I don't think she was scared for the kids the way that Nicole Kidman's character was. She never. I don't think she ever really cared about the kids. Yeah, I think she was just stuck there, and that's clear in the dialogue earlier as well. Like when he says, if you could wish for anything, what would it be? And she's like, to be far away from here. Yeah. I'm not saying that I didn't have sympathy for her because she was definitely manipulated by him into that situation. Yeah, yeah. He was selling her on lies that he was trying to sell everybody else on, but she bought them and she… And she also at that point thought, you know, what can I do? I'm old enough and I am, you know, I have enough power that I can do things that Elle Fanning's character couldn't. I can kind of put myself down here in the way that, that she can't. I just don't see that. I just don't think that she was doing that for anybody's protection but her own. I think she just was selfish. I think that was all selfish motivations. Mm. And I think they just conveniently used that time to plan what they were going to do. Because he'd gone by then. She went after him. There's no guarantee that he was coming back. So she went after him because she wanted him, not because she was trying to protect anybody else, Mm. in my view. Nicole Kidman definitely was trying to protect the others, but I think um, Edwina Kirsten Dunst had fully removed herself from that situation by that time and was not. And I think she did that almost as soon as she knew that Elle Fanning was going after Colin Farrell, she just cut herself off Mm. from the kids, like as a group. Because well, I'm, she was never particularly no, attached to the children no. anyway. Like she's, yeah, she. You can tell in the way she teaches them. She's not that interested in being yes. there, and she's she's stuck. Um, Elf and like Al Fanning is stuck, and Al Fanning's character is the most forward. There's yeah. the scene where she just like everybody else is like kind of floating. But yeah, around during the, the first games, she goes down and actually just kisses him, kisses him straight, straight up. up. Everybody him. just laughed because it's like it's such an unexpected thing when everybody yeah. else is just dancing around the edges. And there's Elle Fanning just going for what she wants. Yep. <laughs> um, the more direct approach. Um, mm. And the violence towards her from him is more direct. Yeah. Because she's more direct. Whereas when he tries to get Jane on side later, yeah. when he brings Jane into the room and he's starting to get frantic and she's sensing that mm. and he's still trying to win her over and she's just not buying it, mm-hmm. was really interesting. And Gary Rice, again, just killing it like gosh she's so good you know just like the the layers of that scene for her to be able to portray those at whatever age she is what 15 16 yeah i don't know just incredible mm. um and she does it effortlessly 14 mm. maybe i actually I don't 14. know she doesn't have an age on her imdb so i don't know but um, I, I would guess around 16 i think i would guess 14 when they sh- i don't know i don't I think know well 14, so 15 Una when they sh- lawrence was born in 2002 so what does that make her 15 so she'd be around that age okay so she looks younger when did they sh- – well, Maybe she is f- younger. I don't know. you got to figure well, out when they shot, shot it as well. Probably, I imagine they shot it last year in the summer. No, because it was um, at Cannes last year. It was at Cannes last no, year. No, it was at Cannes this year. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I thought this it was This was the year of Nicole Kidman I heard at Cannes. Beguiled- it won the Best Director this year at Cannes, like two months ago. Because I've heard about it ago. for a long time. Oh, well, that's kind of the way when Sofia Coppola makes a movie, everybody makes a fuss about it. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's this line early on in the movie when they're like, oh, they rape all the southern women that they come across that was very foreshadowy. Um, uh, so, here you go. And Gary Rice was born in 2001, so she's 16. 16, yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I just want to know when it was shot because I would have said she was younger. But, yeah. Who knows? In between shooting Spider-Man. But then that was shot in Atlanta too, so maybe they both just shot him. Well, Spider-Man would have been before this probably because Spider-Man has more post-production production yeah. to do. I just want to know when it was shot. 
the, okay, there are a couple of problems that I had with this movie. Yeah. Um, one was, that, I mean, for a Sofia Coppola movie, the pacing's great, mm-hmm. but there were still moments when I was like, man, this is getting a little over, t- uh, get, getting too much, and that was yeah. partly the the well, and and you do have all those repeated shots and all those pretty shots of the front of the plantation with the light fingering through in, in the they're not misty so long shots. that I got distracted. The the mm. gardening was too much. Um, and I think they just she spent a little too long setting it up. Mm. But then again, the movie's only an hour and a half long. Yeah, um, it's really short. But um, but it doesn't the, build really well. Like it doesn't feel too short. It feels like it's exactly the right amount of time to tell the story. Yes, I mean, and especially given that you're basically in one location with one small company of actors. Yeah, I still think they could have spent that time on more interesting things. <laughs> it, it because it didn't build tension for me. It just kind of sucked it away. Because it wasn't, I think partly because it wasn't um, claustrophobic enough. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, no. They were outside. It felt so free. It just didn't, it pulled a lot of tension away from the movie for me. Um, the only scene that worked was one where he's talking to Nicole Kidman and yep. he shows his hand too much. Mm-hmm. And she goes, I'm as blunt as I need to be. And she starts to hint that she he has to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, that's in that was the, the only, garden. Yeah. In the garden. See, I thought but the garden like, scene was actually really good because <laughs> that's but him. But there's like six of them. Yeah. Just goes for so. I was nearly asleep. Honestly, like it took a while to get me back into taking notes again and being in the swing of things again. I right. just it was too much. But the the bigger thing for me, I'm so over natural lighting. Yeah, like because sometimes it's beautiful it's in this movie. It's so dark though in places. Like it's really hard because this is this is really done dogma style. Yeah, with no nothing other than natural or diegetic lighting. You say dogma style. I'm going with um far out now i've forgotten the name of it. i'm like the departed style and it's so dumb of me because it's leonardo dicaprio the the movie where it's terrible and he's in the in the horse oh the the revenant revenant style that's what oh, it is okay revenant was so popular now natural lighting's all over the place and the witch did the same thing which you yeah, didn't yeah. see but that's but yeah yeah but i mean that that goes back to the Danish filmmakers, the Dogme 95 yeah, it does, filmmakers. But, da- but Dogme is, is looking for a different thing yeah. out of it than what they're getting no, now. And, and to me, though, like the natural lighting stuff feels more natural to a Sofia Coppola film. Yes, um, because it's all very soft, yeah. long takes, pretty. Yeah. I but get it. it got a bit annoying because especially once you're in the interior of the house, it's 1864, so there's no electric lighting. Yeah. So everything is by candlelight. But light. they only do it for period movies with mm. all natural lighting. And you're like, yeah, you only do it for period movies because that's the only time it works. But also, yeah. like, it's so frustrating because you're like, oh, this is such a gorgeous shot. I can barely see it. It was also um, – there's a bit where Nicole Kidman stitches up his leg mm. and I'm like, how can she see what she's doing? Yeah. Because she, she, the window is behind her and she's sitting over the leg, you know, stitching, the, yep. you know, cleaning the wound and stitching up. Like, she, how can she see what she's doing? That's she just can't. Work. And, that's, and, then that's the, a- and the scene where she amputates his leg – is actually really well lit. I don't know if it's all natural lighting. I'm assuming it is. But there's this wonderful scene of this spectral Nicole Kidman with blood all up the front of her yeah. white nighty. Looks amazing. And that is actually one of the scenes that is really well lit. That scene, that shot of them all when they know he's going to die just after they've poisoned him and he looks down the table. And they're all just sitting still. Ah, uh, best shot. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just it was like, it, that was like, I had chills at how good that was. Yeah, it's it is really well shot and really well f- the framing of this movie mm. is fantastic. My god. Like that poster frame, the the framing of the poster shot is great. Mm-hmm. Um really good. So yeah, it is it's really well shot. It just I hate natural all natural lighting when it gets to the point where you can't see 
Because they have the women in shadows with light behind them. And I'm yep. like, no, I want to see what their faces are doing yep. right now. Uh, and this is an important emotional scene. Mm. Show me what's happening. There's also a really weird shot of um, – it's the big scene, I think, between the first big scene between Kirsten Dunstan and Colin Farrell where she – we like have this beautifully framed mm, shot is, yeah. of her hairstyle. Mm. And I, she does turn around and the scene happens. But, like, we always see this is the back of her head yeah. for the beginning. And it's just – it's weird. Um, it's just weirdly framed and weirdly shot. The, the, a side note on the hairstyles, one of the first things I wrote down was, when did they find time to braid their hair this elaborately when they've got this much work to do on the but plantation? They don't, I think. A lot of I, it is filling time. Yeah, well, it feels like, yeah, like once a week they sit down and, and braid their hair and muck around. But we actually see them doing it too. They, we actually see them um, – we see the girl the, – one girl whose name I don't know who's mm. really just the fifth girl – um, <laughs> yeah. Does it to Jane's hair? Yeah, right. And it's a um, it's this emotional moment after the because the first one is her lacing yes, Jane into a corset, right? And then and afterwards it's her taking care of Jane after the yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's but it's it's also setting up for that last dinner when the mood is very different. Yeah, um, which I actually that's the really the best use of repeated shots yep. where they there's the first dinner where they're all so the first games are still in yeah. in play and they're really and they all excited. Dress up, like we've seen them in all these conservative yeah. outfits and, and they're they pinching dress up their, in their cheeks pretty. and they put their put little um flower crowns in their hair and they're just so excited. And then the following night, you know, we're going to do the same thing and they put almost exactly the same clothes and hairstyles on but the mood is just yeah. it, it's absolutely beautiful you don't genius yeah and there's not nothing needs to be said it's all shown as well yeah. it is and it's there's not very many there's not very much non-diegetic music in this movie mm. um it's and a lot use, of diegetic sounds yeah and they and they use a lot of songs as well people yep. singing or humming things to themselves the opening is really good the way that we just see you lawrence going through the woods and then the beguiled yeah. comes up and it's so feminine but overpowering yeah um, it's genius. It's it, that, so that shot is very like it's very Red Riding Hood, you know, this long yeah. path and this little girl with a basket going into the woods. Yeah, uh, just it's yeah. so it's so good, man. It's so well put together, mm. and I I think it is because it's a mix of Sofia Coppola's arty, you know, uh, her art house style with yeah. like her dad's ability to use really to, traditional filmmaking techniques to tell a really good story, to tell a really good mm. story, and to put those two things together, it works for the most part, really well mm. with a good cast. Oh, my God, um, yes. Put good casting in there Put and it all ties together really nicely mm. to make a really compelling film that got a lot of different – like the age groups in the cinema that we saw it in were so different and they were so engaged. Yeah. Everybody was so engaged and they knew exactly what was happening and they were – like the gore kind of shook uh, shook them up at the beginning mm. And, mm. and there's this sense of unease but people are still laughing at the jokes and it's a little – almost conservative in some of the way that the well, jokes are actually, set up or yeah. some of the way that the characters are set up. I was actually thinking about that actually in terms of we talked about is this the female gaze before. I also thought is this the female gaze when they don't show the amputation. They mm. show the lead up and they show the, the, them all dumping his leg into a grave and burying it, but they don't actually show the bloody, gory, like mess of it. And you just know that like – an Inuritu or somebody would have totally made a big thing about, out of like amputating the guy's leg. And it was unnecessary. It didn't need yeah, it. Yeah, it was unnecessary. It wouldn't have bothered me. No, it I wouldn't have bothered me either. In fact, but I was expecting. I was thinking female gaze is like the sexualization yeah, yeah, no, no, of a I, man I, I, I know I do understand that and that was much appreciated. Um, but I, I also was thinking about not just the female gaze necessarily in terms of that sexuality aspect, but a female eye in terms of, Knowing what is necessary, what what level of gore is necessary and what is not, and what it's, where, when it's best to hold back and when you don't need to, and I just know 
almost any other conventional film I can think of would have definitely gone for the amputation scene. I don't know that I agree with that, actually, but that's... I mean, I've seen a lot of male-directed movies where they don't go for that sort of thing. Mad Max Fury Road doesn't do that. Yes. They cut away before they the... Do. And that was... And we credited... Yeah, you credited that to the female editor, but the... No, I didn't. Oh, somebody did. But there is a lot of people who do credit the I think female we editor on... Mad Max Fury Road for the fact for the framing of yeah. certain things, yeah. But, but yeah, but um, yeah. I know I've read that. But um, there was a female editor on this as well. I noticed. Um, mm, I did notice that. Not a female DOP though. No. Nope. But yeah, it. There are other movies that I can think of where they don't do that. Mm. Um, a lot of them actually. And yeah, there are people who would go for the gore, but I kind of like gore anyway. So and like yeah. Lexi Ale- Alexander would have gone for the gore. Yeah. Well, I would have gone for the gore. Right. Like so if I, I were fa- making this, I would have gone for the gore big time. I think more – I was thinking about, like, the sexualization of men yeah, um, yeah. and how that's turned on. And, and, and you're it's like nice. Well, it's not just that. It it turns around and it's like, don't do this in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's it's a dangerous path to that's go down right. to, uh, to turn people – to remove people's humanity because it could be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I would love to see MRA, MRA's response to this movie because I feel like this must be their worst nightmare. And that you can t- – like, they're, I mean, they're not going to see it. If they did, there would have been, like, outcry already. It's so funny, too. And the funny thing is, this is a remake of a movie with, like, their patron saint, Clint Eastwood. Yes, but that was from his perspective, and the women were clearly the bad guys in the original. I have seen it, but this is what I've read. I think I'm going to go hunt it down, actually. I'm really interested. Okay, Um, now that is interesting. It is. It's very much, I think, a different take on it from a different perspective. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, I think that's more misery-esque. Yeah, um, yep. which is what I thought of a lot when I was watching this, obviously. But, you know, at the end of the movie, when he's crying about how they took his leg, you vengeful oh. bitches. And it, yeah, but yeah. that's. I mean, it's a house of mad women. But yeah. it's not just you. The older people in our cinema, including the older men, were like, ugh. Oh, at him get at over. That stage. It, but also, and it is a, such a get over yourself moment because, like, you lost, like, the bottom half of your leg. Like, seriously. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not a man is, anymore. It's really sad and terrible. But, yeah, it's the way but that also, he reacts But also, the way he's so whiny about it. Like, also, he's just, just like, shut up. But also, they did save his life and he doesn't. He doesn't even think of that. He's not even. There's He has no, um, I was going to say, he's not sanguine about it, but that's probably the wrong choice of words. But he. <laughs> it's perfect choice of um, words. But he's just, he has no chill about it, right? He's, there's no kind that of. Made me think of Firefly so hard just then. He doesn't. Anyway. There's no sort of recognition that someone was trying to save his life. He's no. just, he immediately, this yeah. is a mad woman. She has deliberately mutilated me. He doesn't even, there's, of course, there's no sympathy for him because he's a complete man baby but about it. But it's really interesting. It's so interesting because that's mm. what MREs do. Because of what had happened beforehand, right? So, mm. like, the build-up to that was they were kind of at each other's – the women were not at each other's throats, but – They weren't doing what he wanted them to do, basically. No, I, that's not where I was going with that. I was oh, going with sorry. more of a, like – he had the conversation with Nicole Kidman about how much it, better it would be if he was if he stayed in, an invalid. Yeah. They talk about – and the women are, like, you know, competing with each other over him. It's the first games. It's what he's seen – but he assumes that because of that, they cut his leg off. Yeah. And we know as the audience that that's not the case. They no. really were like, there's no way. The the way that his leg looked in that time, mm. what were they going to do? There's nobody around. There's mm. nobody to save him. They couldn't do – they couldn't fix it. Yeah. And but he doesn't know that. No. And like it's this kind of situation where um, this thing happens all the time now in different forums where like – 
you take this thing that you've assumed about people, you assume the worst because of what you've seen of them. And to be fair, like they were doing things that weren't perfect, right? But we expect women to be perfect all the time. And he's the one who was instigating that in them. But as soon as it turned around on him, man, he was down on them like a ton of bricks, you know, and he was like, oh, you did this to me. Mm. And it's, it is like really interesting because it's showing that no, they had to do this to save him. Or no, this isn't what you think it is. And yet you're putting your assumptions on this because of what you assume about about women. Women. Yeah. And you know, that's that's the thing that's ultimately gonna bite you on the ass because mm. it was his violence towards them that caused them to kill him. Yeah. They end up having to kill him because they're terrified of him because yeah. he's threatening them with guns and things because he makes this assumption about them. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, don't make assumptions about women because it's only going to to, lead to your peril. But it is like there's so many things that are so relevant in this mm-hmm. um, and it relevant in like this internet world where we see yeah. women get attacked for things all the time and you're like, this is a warning to yeah. you. And where women set up nice spaces for themselves and men come in and just start swinging their dicks around. And, That's yeah. true, but these, I mean, they did. It's also because they're so cut off from everything yeah. and they're creating an echo chamber for themselves of like separating from themselves yeah. from everybody else. And so they completely fall for this one guy with all the lines. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot more, there's a lot of layers yeah. um, going on in this movie and it's so clever and so relevant while being a period and a beautiful period movie with great costuming and hair and all that stuff. Mm. I just, yeah, totally with the exception of like the, pacing the natural lighting and the racism <laughs> yeah um the racism is important because there's no yeah. reason for this not to be no, an intersectional it could, it feminist film easily included the slaves and it would have been i would have been a more layered slave. film one a black sl- woman yep it would have it would have it would have added a whole nother dimension to the film and you wouldn't have had to have that whole fillery bit with all the extensive gardening stuff no you would have had less gardening which i was the bit that i was frustrated with so yeah i i, I mean those are I just think this movie is really well made. It's Sophia Coppola's best film and mm. people should see it. Yes, I agree. Um, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it four and a half stars. Oh, wow. I'm going for four stars. I've been really generous tonight. You have been generous tonight. Too much wine probably. <laughs> I don't know. I just really liked all the movies we saw yeah. this week though. Like I genuinely thought they were all really good. So Cool. Um, yes. So thank you for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find the show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of The Beguiled or any of the other movies that we watch, they're on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter. We are facebook.com forward slash silver screen queens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.